Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Hi, Scott. Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? I'm good. Um, okay, so we gave ourselves an assignment for this episode. Uh, we did. And I want to I want to kind of share with everyone what the assignment was, and then we can rehearse our tenets, and then we can kind of um, talk about our our response on the other side of our assignment. Uh, this sounds like you're setting up an essay with a thesis statement. First, yeah. we will tell people what we were doing. <laughs> then we will. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, c- I couldn't resist. <laughs> Uh, so we decided to watch a documentary that is, um, at least at the time that we're recording, this is on Hulu, called AKA Jane Roe. So this is a, a documentary about, it's specifically about Jane Roe, about uh, the woman um, who, Jane Roe was a kind of clever way of calling her Jane Doe, uh, was a pseudonym uh, for the Roe v. Wade um abortion case in Supreme Court, uh, this documentary surprised, I think, both of us. We didn't necessarily know what we were getting into when we decided to watch this documentary. Um, but I'm, I'm glad we did, in part because this has ended up being part A of um, a future podcast with a dear friend of ours, uh, Kenneth Pibus, who will be joining us for, I think, part B of this discussion uh, so the, the assignment was, and perhaps if, if you're interested, you might want to click pause and go watch the, the video, uh, AKA Jane Rowe, the documentary, and then, uh, click unpause and finish the conversation and kind of join in with us. Uh, but that's, uh, that was the assignment. That's right. Let's talk about our tenants. All right. Boy, howdy. These, these really are important today. <laughs> Yeah, I think anytime you start talking about abortion, you're going to get, you have to really think about what you're doing and how you're grounded. So when we say sacred cows make great barbecue, we may be frying something up. That's right. We, you know, I I do think that um, there are some things about this conversation today that do fly in the face of orthodoxy. And um, we're comfortable with that insofar as we believe our faith is something that does belong under a microscope and does require introspection and does require reflection. And it does require asking difficult questions that, that kind of shake us at our foundation. So we're very comfortable with the idea of frying up some barbecue. And you know, Scott, um, some of the content of this documentary really requires us to put our faith under a microscope. I think that's a really good point. We also let our flags fly proudly, number two. That's right. Um, so that one is that one is uh, important today. I I think I've I think some listeners may not know where I'm coming from when we talk about the dis, the discussion of of abortion and where I stand. And so I thought at some point, either today or in our conversation with Kenneth, I do want to fly my flag a little bit. Um, because I, I think it's only fair to let people know explicitly where I'm coming from uh, when it comes to a discussion of issues of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number three? We are bros always before we are politicos. Boy, that one's important. That, that one really popped up. Uh, that, that came to my attention while I was even watching the documentary. Um, but man, folks have really found ways to create 
divides uh, in these kind of discussions in ways that uh, not just shut down conversation, but uh, end friendships and end association and relationships. You know, you can see this happening on so many issues on Facebook, but people will shut down conversation by saying, for example, on the issue of abortion, well, I just happen to believe that, you know, that that following God's will is important. I, you can do whatever you want. I just happen to believe that, you know, that's not that's not helping anybody out. And probably the more important thing to do is uh, let our flags fly proudly, but also understand that brotherhood is more important than anything else. And we figure it's sisterhood and we figure that out together. So, yeah, I, you know, as we get into this one, not because you and I are on different sides of this per se, because I think we end up being on a lot of the same side, but mm-hmm. um, maybe in conversation with our audience uh, to make sure that we're practicing those tenets uh, with our audience and their audience is practicing with us. That's okay. right, because uh, real, real quick, because the people who are listening to this podcast, who are our Christian brothers and sisters, are our Christian brothers and sisters before they are people that we want to agree with us about everything. I, I'm not interested in persuading people about too much uh, at least when it comes to positions on, on issues, I'm not really interested in that. I'm really interested in, um, maintaining and growing relationships, um, with human beings in the, in the blood of Christ. I, does, just to put it as plainly as I can, I want to, I want to be in brotherhood and sisterhood with everybody through the blood of Christ. So everything else is sublimated underneath that. Sublimated is a great word. Hey, so let me just ask you, you know, I learned this from you. I've watched Cole teach uh, his classes. And like when he's, when you give an assigned reading, the first question you always ask, and I've, I've adopted this practice. And every time I ask it, I think of my inner Cole Bennett, but uh, did you like the, did you like the documentary? You're asking me that. Yeah. Yes. I, I did like the documentary. I was surprised at most of its content, and I was surprised that I liked it. Um, the main reason I liked it was because I learned things and I found it provocative. And I had, I realized that I had no idea who this woman was until I saw the documentary. And I watched documentaries uh, with the askance, with the Let's see. Is it the hook eye, the evil eye, which which the stink eye? Do I eye. Use? The s- <laughs> <laughs> yes, I watch documentaries. The side eye, the side eye, and I try to make sure that I evaluate what I'm hearing in real time and then later. But I was I found it provocative and informative. Um, I was watching it with my good wife, and it was disturbing to her. She had to leave the room. Um, she knew I was watching it for the assignment, so she was kind enough to let me finish, but it disturbed her. And I understood exactly why, as I was watching it, it disturbed me. And, and I think I shared with you before you had seen it, that I I thought it was disturbing. Mm -hmm. I did, I did like it. Um, but it was not easy. And I think from the reason that it came down to it wasn't easy is there's a lot of pain going on in that story. And if you can watch her story without feeling any of her pain, then I think you're not 
I think you're not turning on your empathy uh, and and understanding that there's a human being in the middle of all of this. And in fact, that's that may be one of the points. I'm not sure, but I wonder if that's one of the points of the documentary is kind of introducing us to a human being rather than to a um, caricature of of R.V. Wade, you know, some evil person if you're pro-life or some heroine if you're uh, pro-choice. And then turns out neither of those neither of those caricatures work very well, depending on what point in her life you're talking. So, yeah, and I something I want to say at the at the outset of this podcast, although we're several minutes in already, is that um, in case in case our listeners don't know the the giant arc um, of this woman's life, she was the person uh, whom the left championed in the nineteen. Uh, Scott what, in the seventies, yeah, starting in the 90s. late sixties. I think it started in sixty eight, and by the time it uh, by by R V Wade it was that seventy two. That's right. So she was the representative plaintiff for uh, the attorneys who eventually got uh, who that made abortion legal, which was illegal in each state before her the case came to the Supreme Court, and so. And so she was the representative of that side for several years until later in her life, uh, she became a Christian and recanted her views and and became a representative for the pro-life side and went to, um, in, in each of her quote unquote roles, she went to conventions, she spoke as a public figure, she made TV appearances and so, as you can imagine, if if you are keeping up with this um, whole journey, you have this person who is making arguments for your side very publicly, who then undergoes a religious conversion and then starts speaking out against your side. This is very hurtful after several years of being the representative for the other side. And the, I say all that to say that the... Uh, trailers for this documentary i found misleading and scott i did I think, too yeah i did so too. the tra- the trailer was uh, a scene from the movie where she is hooked up to oxygen and can hardly breathe and she's saying this is my deathbed confession and they have this ominous music playing and they pretty much lead you to think uh, this documentary is all about how it was all a fake when she recanted that she took money from the Christian right for for the moral majority or the lack of the lack of a better term. She took money to publicly renounce her views, but it was a fake, and now she's telling us before she died. That was what the trailer set me up to think that the documentary was all about. But it was not all about that. Right, Scott? Uh, yeah, I don't think it was. Um, well, first of all, you have, yeah, you kind of have four phases in that documentary. You have kind of the the life of Norma, maybe pre-Roe, uh, and kind of an understanding of her story and some of the complexities of her own story. You've got the Roe period. Um, you've got the... Uh, pro-life period, 
And then you have this very odd last part, which yes. it's, it's, uh, there's no question in, um, that she believes that she is still a Christian, that, that Jesus, she says, Jesus is my boyfriend. She shows a picture and, and, you know, near the end of her life, she shows a picture of Jesus and says, this is my boyfriend. She is, she sees herself as still a full on Christian, but, um, but maybe, the difference now is she's not as interested in being anybody's voice any longer. I don't know. I, that that puts too fine a point on it because I don't think there's a fine point to be made. Um, her story is complex. But, yeah, it's, it does seem to me that there are kind of four phases. There's Norma. There's Roe. There's a, a pro-life, new Christian, new body woman that kind of in, in – is involved in a kind of anti-Roe movement. And then there is this reconciliation phase where she seems to be trying to uh, reconcile what her life is about. Yes. And the quote unquote deathbed confession. Of it was a joke. Talking, yeah, it was a joke. And um, it's not the apex of the documentary. No, no. She says, this is my deathbed confession. And she looks at the camera in the in the real in the real documentary. She looks at the camera. And she goes <laughs> like, you know, she's, right. it's not really a deathbed confession and there's nothing to confess. It's uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that was very disingenuous of whomever is responsible for the trailer. They made me watch it. So I guess they did their job. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about. Okay, let's. You said you learned some stuff, so let's talk about. Because I did too. I learned a lot. Talk to me a little bit about what you learned in the documentary. I guess there's a lot of spoilers in this, so spoiler alert. What'd you learn? Yes, uh, some things I learned. Well, I learned that. Let's use her name, her real name, which is Norma McCorvey, rather than Jane Roe, because Scott and I, as we were preparing to to start recording, uh, came to a kind of a sudden insight that Jane Roe is a caricature. Yeah. It's not just an alias for this woman in this case. The the Jane Roe associated with Roe v. Wade is a caricature that gets created and played by different sides. So one of the things that I learned that surprised me the most is that she originally went to these attorneys not for an adoption, but to uh, find out how to give her baby up for adoption. That blew me away. Yeah. And that that's when I started to realize this story is crazy. It's not Tiger King crazy, but it's crazy. Uh, right. The, yeah, that she went to the – she was looking for a lawyer to help set up an adoption. Uh, and by the way, she never did have an abortion. Right. Never did. And that's in the trailer too, to, to whet your appetite. But she never did. And I think a sociologist or a a philosopher would say, you know, it doesn't really much matter because uh, that she was the right person at the right time because society was ready for this conversation regardless. So the attorneys who said the, – the attorneys who were looking for a person who had gotten pregnant and didn't want to be, who was poor and had – for all intents and purposes, very few options. That is who they wanted 
for their plaintiff. And also, they just, that she, also that she had been raped. That she had been raped. That's right. So they scooped her up and said, we want to, they didn't say we want to use you in this way, but they said, we want to do this with your help. And she said, okay. And off they went. Um, so how, how everything got started was surprising to me. I, I had pictured in my mind all these years a plaintiff who was desperate to get an abortion and kept being turned down and finally went to attorneys, and that was wrong. Um, well, that was one of the things that uh, I learned. I did not realize that um, – I, I didn't realize that she'd never had an abortion. Uh, it, it, does, it is mentioned in the trailer, but that becomes, a, I think, an important part of the story. Um. The other thing I didn't know was that even before she uh, converted to Christianity, which was a very public event, and something I remember very clearly uh, back in the 90s, I remember the discussions that were going on in evangelical circles at the time, um, but I did not know that even before that she had re recanted the rape accusation. Yeah. And um, that was surprising. Yeah, and the amount of terror that meant for the abortion rights movement, because the the Supreme Court judgment in and of itself said rape is not the issue, mm -hmm. but it was a part of the pathos of mm -hmm. the case. Um, that is very well stated, and that was that was drawn out by her uh, uh, recanting of the, the, the rape accusation on TV. This is before she'd recanted R.V. Wade. This is before she became uh, a pro-life activist. Or for, I put that in quotation marks, but um, that was, she was, still, she was still advocating for, uh, for Roe, and yet um, the story is getting more complex. <laughs> And both, and you realized in the documentary that both sides were always very scared of what she might say because she was not an educated woman. She was a house cleaner. She lived in poverty for most of her life early on and even middle on, I guess, I guess you would say. She, and they were afraid to put her in front of a microphone, both sides. And her recanting the fact that she was raped was one of the, main instances of the pro-choice movement, they thought, oh, no, we just lost quite a bit of ground that we had covered. Again, as you say, Scott, not because the law was written to only cover rapes, but because the pathos of the country um, was with Roe v. Wade. A lot of it was for that reason, which I we can talk about this next week, but I find that to be disingenuous to say, we want to be able to have abortions in this country for the times that it's rape or incest. Because I don't, I don't think that applies to most people who seek abortions. Well, um, it, it definitely did, it did make this situation more complex. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that was the other, the, the other, if you talk about things you learned, that was something I did learn was that any imagination I had of Norma as a person who was driven by values, and I don't want to say this in a critical way. I'm going to say this in a, in a way that I believe praises her, not 
criticizes her. Mm-hmm. I'd always understood her as an advocate for uh, for abortion, as an advocate for life later on. That's Those are the ways I understood her was advocacy. That's not who Norma is. Norma is a survivor. And that's the one the one common semantic feature that runs through the entire film up until the moment that she dies. Again, welcome to a spoilers, but up until the moment that she dies, she is a survivor. And survivors sometimes survive in inelegant ways. And there is no elegance to this survival. There are times where she gets up uh, scraped and bleeding and figures out how to eat together a life uh, on the other side of whether it's somebody else's decisions or her own decision in a moment, she um, she is a survivor. And I I want to be clear. I'm I admire her immensely for what she lived through. Uh, I don't want to paint her as a victim. I don't know if that's fair. But what she lived through, I admire what she's made of the the survivor instinct in her. The grit. Yeah, that's a that's a better word for it. Cole grit. is grit. Yeah, and I, I th- it's not I pretty. Think, no, and see if you agree with this characterization. I think she was used as a puppet, and be, and then she learned how to be a puppet for her own reasons. Really, that's a that's a great way to put it. Yeah, she figured out how to make that work for her survival, right to the tune of lots of money. I mean. I think yeah. she she kept her puppeteers um, nervous about what she might ever say on cameras, uh, and until they said, "Well, here's more money to not say things that you should." Yeah, say. man, she had them <laughs> dancing. <laughs> right. You right. don't see that as much. I mean, you know, we don't have. There wasn't as much discussion in the documentary about the ways that she made the uh, abortion rights. Uh, folks dance in the 70s but you can clearly see her uh yeah with the uh the right to life movement she's definitely making sure that she's taken care of and the, and they are constantly aware of well let me rephrase that some are constantly aware of the danger that she presents to their to their movement because she's a she's a powder keg let me let me state here something that i think that you and I might disagree with from our from a bit of our earlier conversation about a flaw I find in the documentary. Sure, yeah, and, let's talk about that. Okay. From the very early story of her running away from home with her friend because um she was she Nor- Norma was being abused sexually by a family member. So she gets her little school friend um, another little girl, and they run off. They steal money from a gas station, which I thought was hysterically funny. And they end up running to o- Oklahoma City. Um, and these they're still little girls. I'm picturing junior high, aren't you, Scott? Or maybe elementary? I thought, I, I was surprised at one point when they were talking about her being 14. Yeah, so, she was young. Young. Yeah. And, and so... You're, you're kind of, as a viewer, you're following with this uh, sense of, yeah, run away from home. I hope you make it, you know. And then all of a sudden it shifts to, and the hotel chambermaid walked in and found us kissing. And there the viewer is introduced to the fact that Norma McCorvey has 
uh, had a lifelong relationship with a woman. Not, it wasn't this little girl, but it was. She is. Uh, she has lesbian relationships, including one long-term lesbian relationship, which is part of who she is in her story. But when the documentary shifts to talk about how she became a Christian, ostensibly, uh, because she'd had a change of heart and began to trumpet the pro-life movement, it the documentary goes a little too far, in my opinion, with sound bites and film clips of people from her new church talking about how homosexual behavior is a sin. It doesn't connect, in my mind, to any part of this documentary. It merely paints Christians that are on this film as uh, extremists. Intolerant. Intolerant extremists. So at the end of the documentary, you're not left with much objectivity about who the worst puppeteers are. Your thoughts, okay, Scott? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to try and talk you down from this. Oh, okay. Change my mind. Don't at me. Uh, I don't know if I will or not, but I I did I did get it I I could I could see up to a point where you might have taken that, but I wonder if the point wasn't to show what she lost, what she gave up. Um, do you remember that her longtime partner had a stroke? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Donna had a stroke. They were, uh, I think, they were apart by that time, and they they went. They had to go their separate ways, and she never saw her again. And there was a that was painful for both of them. Um, and I wonder if it's not so much these dirty, terrible Christians did this to this poor woman, but that she, if you think that she only gained financially, then you're missing how much she gave up. Um, because even, even flip the, I'm, I don't have anything great to say about flip, but even flip in the, in the film, which is one of the, uh, I think one of the Christian, the, the, I call him a pseudo Christian, but one of the people who used her, uh, on the, um, the pro-life side, would, believed that she, they lived together for a time, but that she became celibate. She gave up her sexuality to convert to Christianity, and then she, and then they they went their separate ways, and she lived a life in isolation. I I'm not saying that that was their point. I'm saying that's what I saw as a woman who gave up. She did not merely get paid to recant Roe v. Wade. She gave up her sexuality in that process, whether that's fair or not, or whether that's, uh, whether, whether the Christians should be, um, uh, indicted for that. I, that's a different discussion. And I don't know that they, I didn't pick up anybody trying to make that argument. Well, I don't disagree with you about anything except that I think the documentary was heavy handed on that point. They could have accomplished that. that with one clip. One brief interview clip of, you know, when he says, we don't believe that homosexual behavior is part of God's plan or that you that you can be a Christian who engages. One clip would have made all the things that you just mentioned um, brought into relief. 
I just think they were heavy handed about it and made the made Christians look extreme. Well, that was an extreme Christian. I mean, I, I don't even know if I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fly a flag here and say that is not my Christianity. Sure, not, not about my, not about the position on uh, same sex. I know that's something that we are struggling, and I've got my hot sports opinions, and that's. But I, uh, what I will say is, the reason that his position was not Christian was there's no empathy on his side. It's just right and wrong. There's the w- right position to be on this, and he's going to tell Norma what to do with her life, and. Um, you know, having convinced her, I don't know if he convinced her, but having convinced, converted her or believing that he converted her, he gets to tell her now, uh, oh, by the way, you, you, you know, whatever relationships you have, you don't get to have those anymore. This is what you believe. This is how you think. This is who you are. Um, I think he was heavy handed and I think he should be, uh, vilified in the documentary for his heavy handedness. I'm saying that as a Christian. Sure, sure. And there, there is not one car salesman in America who is worse than this guy. That is hilarious. Yeah, he, yes. he is. <laughs> and they do a really good job throughout this film portraying him as that smarmy, um, smiling, plaid unctuous. jacket, where, unctuous, great word, uh, Herb oh. Tarlick type, if you know who Herb Tarlick was was on WKRP. That's yeah. the type of guy. Uh, and so because they had already done that, Scott, that's why I felt it was still heavy-handed to go into the homosexual. Uh, okay. You know, because that is a spot that people are raw to in 2020. And I think yes. I think it was done for for other reasons. But I want you to talk about the guy that you did admire as a Christian in this documentary well um so i think there's a hero of this story i think norma is in and of herself a hero as a survivor mm-hmm. uh and i i i want to say that i what i came away from the film believing was there is a human being that i have failed to to pay attention to in this story and norma is a different person than jane roe and i and i really um, I, as much as I can in a two-hour documentary, I love Norma. I love who she is, and I um, I can imagine God being very pleased with her uh, spunk and probably getting a giggle or two out of her. <laughs> I liked her. Um, but I think there's a hero of the story, and the hero and the heroism here is not that somebody did the right thing, but that somebody was willing to look at himself. And that is Rob Shank. Rob Shank was one of the uh, uh, leaders of the pro-life movement who in this documentary is looking back on Norma's story and asking some really tough questions about himself and about Christianity. Mm Mm-hmm. In relationship to not their position, I don't ever hear him saying abortion should be legal. Where he gets to is, wow, I am not as certain that I know everything that I believed I knew when I was younger. And I also know that I abused Norma. That's right. 
So Rob Shank is um, was one of the was one of the leaders. Um, uh, he throughout the documentary um, is in in a contemporary way looking back on this story and um, and sharing some. I think it's his confession. This whole film is his confession. It's funny that Norm that Norma on the clip is uh, is you know recorded as saying this is my deathbed confession on the trailer, but I think it is Rob Shank's confession. And as a confessionary piece or confessional piece, I I appreciated it. Um, and I I wrote down some things that really caught my attention. One was he was asking the question whether. Norma had played them. You know, when she when she recanted RV Wade and became a Christian and was uh and was receiving uh remuneration for her uh for her point of view, he was thinking about this question of whether she was playing us. And he said, What I didn't have the guts to say was because I knew damn well we were playing her. And this is the part that really touched me as a uh, a person who has done professional ministry. Uh, he talks a little bit about that ministers know where people's weaknesses are. And he said, we saw that her greatest weakness could be exploited. Mm. Um, and as a Christian, I would like to be a part of that kind of reflection and that kind of introspection and ask, are we exploiting people when we think we're, when we think we're standing up for the right? Are we, are we harming people? Are we exploiting people? And I thought it was powerful that he said, I know damn well, excuse my French. It's his French that um, we exploited her. And I will add that the documentary maker used a really smart strategy rhetorically at that point uh, she had, I believe it's a she, the documentary maker. I I forgot the name, but um, there was the clip of Shank that's supposed to be present day or very close to present day saying these things that Scott is, is telling us. But there was also a clip of the used car salesman, Flip, holding his Bible out and pretty much saying, right. you know what? Anytime someone goes to work, they're exchanging their influence for a price and that was the way it is and that was the way it was and making no apology for it so she, she did a good job of contrasting without comment without further narrate narrative comment just look at these two christians um one is very contrite and one is very adamant about the past being right didn't you think that was smart I did think it was smart. Um, you know, I, I hadn't prepared for this, but it just came up this morning. A friend of mine, whom, whom you know, um, was talking about an entirely different issue. And she was saying, um, uh, and it surprised me, it was, a, it was about race and, um, and racial prejudice. And anyway, uh, my friend said, if your eye causes you to sin, I remember somebody saying, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And when she was defending the practice of introspection, she was defending this, uh, 
the spiritual practice of looking at oneself and asking, do I need to deal with something inside of me? Do I need to ask deeper questions about who I am? And, and, um, and I was so touched because I, I frankly did not expect her to say this. I thought her just, I, I expected her to say something else. And, um, uh, but but I think she hit at for me what is a fundamental part of my Christian practice, which is to look within myself and ask, are there things I need to be dealing with and I need to confess and bring out in the open and uh, and wrestle with? Um, I I might need to wrestle with them with my community. Regardless, I have to wrestle with them with God. Um, and do I need to be healed of these things? And you know, whenever people justify exploitation, whenever people justify acts that treat people, objectify people, um, or justify means because uh, of an end, I worry that we've decided that once and for all, gouging out your eyeball because it causes you to sin is completely metaphorical and we're not going to do anything with it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so, and so the, the juxtaposition of one person who is merely justifying everything they did with Norma and saying people get paid all the time to do all kinds of things. What's the big deal? And right. someone else saying, um, "We we sinned." Well, well the, let me read something that Shank said because I I spent a lot of time with the uh, pause button so I could write it down. It was so powerful. He said, for Christians like me, there is no more important or authoritative voice than Jesus. And he said, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? When you do what we did to Norma, you lose your soul. So here is a person who is saying, I was fighting for a position fighting to change a law and lost my soul. And I think, I think you know, if I can get preachy for just a second, Cole, this is what Paul is doing in Galatians. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode. But in chapters one through five of Galatians, Paul is saying to the Galatian churches, look, stop it with this requiring people to have circumcision. You're on the wrong side of this issue. We don't re- we're not requiring circumcision of Gentiles. But in chapter six, he says, he shifts a little bit. And in chapter six, he says, if a brother is caught in error, he's been saying in chapter in five chapters, these brothers are not in error. But then he says in chapter six, if a brother is in error, restore him gently, lest ye yourselves fall into temptation. And I think what Rob Shank is doing here is playing out the the confession of having fallen into Galatians six temptation, of exploiting someone because he was so focused on a position, so focused on being right, so focused on um, on being just and 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 bringing about God's judgment uh, regarding Roe v. Wade that he didn't understand uh, how he was treating an individual human being. Very well said. So even if you are on the right side of whatever, you have to draw the line when you start exploiting another person. Yeah. Um, and that seems like a no duh thing to say. <laughs> 
I think uh, I think flip kind of exam- is is an extreme in so many ways. And when he says what he says and he's wagging his Bible, I think almost anybody would look at him and say, you know, what an idiot. And you you should you should look at him and say what an idiot. I'll I'll just go ahead and put it out there. Uh, but I don't think a lot of us would assume that we put issues before people. That that speaks to the to the the nature of the abortion issue. I think there's just there's just not another issue like this, one that is so um, emotional has so much emotional investment from each side. You know, I, I think when someone says I'm going to go bomb an abortion clinic, it makes sense to a lot of people. That is a you know that is a place I realize bombing is a an extreme measure, but this is an extreme situation. You know, uh, I don't want to come off as sounding like I support abortion. No, 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 no. I know you don't. Yeah. No, Cole doesn't support that. And but I, ah. but I can no. But Dad and I were driving down the road in Dallas one time, and there was a there was a guy on the street corner uh, preaching, and he had a sign. He was holding a sign that says "The end is near," and he was preaching, and nobody stand, nobody's listening to him. And I mean, it was a street where nobody's walking. Everybody was driving. And, um, and you know, so you, we both looked at that. And it's kind of an absurd moment. You know, we saw this absurd moment. And then my dad said something that has stuck with me ever since. And he, he looked at me and he said, you know, though, if I believe that dad, dad said, I believe there's a hell. And if I really did believe that, why am I not standing next to that guy and crying out with him? And I'm not sure that dad's saying he ought to do that. It's not effective. There's something else we've got to do. But I think that there are people who do believe that the ends do justify the means because we have to save babies' lives. Uh, I, I would like to talk them out of that, but I do believe that that happens. You would like to talk who out of what? I'd like to talk people out of believing that the ends justify the means. Oh, okay. You're, you're, I've lost track of your antecedents there. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this opportunity though to to tell you where I want to criticize this documentary, and I do so as a person who tries to analyze every message coming from something. Okay, and I found it curious that they offered. They showed clips of this film to people on both sides, right? Yeah. To uh, Gloria Allred. And having the Christian response, which they ended with Shank saying, you know, all the things that Scott just mentioned. How awful that we did this. How terrible that we exploited her. I might even lose my faith because of it, essentially, was what Shank was saying. There was no similar footage of the pro-choice side. So when you finished watching the documentary, um, you have several different opinions, some of of who Norma was and what happened in her life. But you come away with, yeah, those Christians really mistreated her. You don't really come away with, look at how both sides... You do if you think about it for a long time. And we've tried to bring out some, some of the... Messages that were contained therein, but the final message seems to be Shank questioning his own faith because how he treated her and not the equivalent response from the pro-choice people. In fact, 
what I remember the most is when she recanted the rape allegation in the middle of her life, which is in the middle of the documentary, how the pro-choice movement was devastated. This is going to set our movement back so far. And so you see the responses of the pro-choice movement kind of tied to how well the pro-choice movement is doing. So at the end of the documentary, you get the contrition from the Christians and the documentary's over. You see what I mean? Yeah, so I do see what you mean. I, I, I don't think, uh, I didn't pick that up. And I, I'll tell you, what I picked up was there are no good actors in this. I didn't get the sense mm. that the abortion rights people were the good actors and the Christians were the bad actors. Mm, I got a much stronger message about how bad actors the Christians were. Much much more played out in the documentary. Is that me putting my own lens on it? No, no, I don't think so. I think that's you responding to um, the act of contrition. The act of contrition is in and of itself healing. Um, and when Shank, Shank is the only one who participates in the healing act in that documentary. He is the only person who is participating in that. Does that mean that you've then exposed Christianity for its failure in that, or, or some Christians in their fa failure? Yes. Um, but he's the only one who's willing to engage in that. Flip is not. Uh, so, I mean, you could say Flip gets off easy, but the problem is that um, you've got one person in that whole and that whole thing, from my point of view, you had one person, and that one person, that one hero, was the one person who said, um, I have to look inside. Well, That's the heroic act. Yes, but, Scott, but I would, I would argue that very few people who watch this documentary will consider him a hero. You will, because you're looking for the, the level of things you're looking for. And you, it's it's something you can talk about intelligently. The average viewer of this documentary will go, "Yeah, I'll bet you're ashamed," and that's it. Oh, hmm. you see what I'm saying? Well, that's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think the other shame. I think the other shame is to is. Uh, I think this was artfully done. I think the other shame would be if a if a viewer watched this film and said it's about R. V. Wade. It's the it's the story of a of a human life, yeah. uh, and the complexities of that human life, and the numbers of ways in which she is used. Frankly, you can also add to that the number of ways in which she uses others. But it is a complex a complex story, a, a complex human life. Uh, not um, her humanity is on display. Her humanity is in all of its wrinkles and all of its warts and all of its complexity is on display. Um, okay, I want you to react to something, Cole. Okay. I wrote this down because I want to I want to hear what you have to say. And I think this will help set us up for our discussion with uh, uh, Pybus uh, 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 next time. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Shink, Shink says at the very, very end, unless you can put yourself in the mind of a woman Facing a pregnancy she is not ready for, you cannot pronounce what she must do. Now, I want to note that there are probably, there's probably a rhetorical purpose for putting this in the film. And I agree with that, that, that could be a, uh, a part of this. But this is coming from 
one of the leaders of the pro-life movement of the 90s. And Rob Shank is saying, in retrospect, things are more comp- I cannot get my head in a position where I can tell other people what to do. Um, I know that you have a, from a position of the, you believe that abortion is wrong from a state point of view, from because it's murder and murder is against the law. And I know that you have that position, but I want you to step over on this side of, um, kind of the, the morality side or the Christian side with me for a second. Do you think he's wrong? Absolutely. Why? I agree that it is not possible for me to understand fully lots of things that other people face if I've never faced them. I agree with that. The degree to which that impedes me from supporting certain laws that I find pretty clear expressions of morality and pretty clear expressions of the state codes as we have them, then it does not impede me at all. Even if I never know what it feels like to be faced with a pregnancy that I don't want, I still have, I think, the ethos to say, um, killing a life is wrong. And there are lots of things that, a lot of nuances to situations, and there are a lot of, perhaps, issues of blame to go here and there uh, in the case in in various cases that I don't want to get into right now but if you're going to ask me do I need to be a woman and do I need to be a woman who has ever faced an unwanted pregnancy to have a quote unquote legitimate opinion on whether abortion is right or wrong and whether I should be able to tell someone that it's who's who's a woman who's pregnant, who um, that what she should or shouldn't do legally and morally, I just don't think that that logic goes to that point. That makes perfect sense to me because I know you to be a strict deonto- deontologist. I mean, your your ethical structure is one that believes that there are principles of truth, at least at their core, even if they're ambiguous to us, in and of themselves, they are unambiguous. Does that sound fair to you? Yes, it does. And I, I can just, I'm picturing, I'm picturing listeners hearing this and thinking, gosh, there's a lot to that. I wonder if these (laughs) hundred things have been considered. And I, that's what we're going to talk a lot about next week. I think think so. I think so. I, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, I think that's entirely fair to say it's, uh, it's not as simple as it sounds and you don't come to that decision simply. No, 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 no. Yeah. And I will say, uh, but just just as a way to, um, as an appetizer for next week, I'm going to talk next week about some ways that Scott Self has changed my mind on this topic. How about wow, because I, I don't know. even know that I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> but I'm not going to say it now. That's a you're good gonna, teaser. You're going to have to tune in next time. I I think where he's coming from is he's coming from the position. Um, he's coming from a, from a different position than you've ever occupied. One where he had given his life, his, his, his career, his ministry, his work, even his, uh, his, everything about himself was in, was involved in, not in persuading women to choose something other than abortion, but in changing the law. 
to tell people what they must do. And I don't, uh, I don't see you dedicating every bit of your life to the purpose of telling somebody what to do. I see you dedicating some of your life to persuading people into uh, other decisions. I mean, you have a, a, a choice in and of yourself of what's right and wrong, but that that's not necessarily something that I see you actively enforcing on other people. I never see you standing on a top of a ladder. Could you believe that scene where that guy's standing on a ladder with the megaphone? Yeah, no, no I'm just thinking about Shink looking at that thing, at, at himself in that same light and saying, no, I can't, I can't be that guy anymore. That's not necessarily the same thing as saying, I'm ambivalent about what life is. I'm ambivalent about what um, the, the value of life. I think what he's, I think if I were to recast his phrase for my own self, I think it would be, unless you uh, can put yourself in the mind of a woman being in pregnancy, you can't tell people, um, you can't pronounce what is good. Um, I think you can persuade. And I think it's okay to sidle up next to somebody and say, how's it going? What do you need? Is there, do you want to talk about this? Is there anything I can do to help? Is there any way I can persuade? I'm all for those things. And so if, if that involves having a position, I'm okay with having a position. And I told you I was going to fly a flag. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life in ways that probably none of our listeners fully understand. I'm pro-life in all of its forms. I'm against capital punishment. I'm pro-life because I'm against uh, uh, acts of uh, uh, aggression, uh, uh, war. I'm against any form of killing in any form or fashion. And I happen to throw babies in with the bathwater. So I am pro-life in all of its in all of its meaning. But uh, in the same way that I can't tell my brother whether he should or shouldn't be in the army. Because uh, I, I know that's a bigger thing than what my hot sports opinion is. I know it's more complex than where I am. And so what I am willing to do is, if you need to talk about it, I'll talk about it with you. But I'm not going to ask you to agree with me. And then if you don't, exploit you or expunge you or whatever X word you want to use here. I'm not going to necessarily do that. I want to I want to be in relationship with people and and. There are times where I will try to persuade someone, but I choose those times carefully, and that's different than pronouncing what one must do. How do, how do you like them apples? Those are some apples. That is a don't you, fly. Don't, don't you agree with me? <laughs> don't you agree with me that that's actually where your position is? That your position is not about pronouncing what people must do? Well, I'm not sure that that is a... That well, you're right in that, as a libertarian, I am loath to tell people what they should or shouldn't do, but not killing some person is something I feel okay telling someone not to do. So, you know, Scott, if you came up on a scene where a person had a gun and was pointing it at someone else, you would feel fine saying, um, I'm going to take that gun out of your hand or knocking the person down or whatever. I don't think you would say... I'm going to find a way to persuade this person not to shoot this other person. Then why and, do you, then then why are you talking to me? Why are you not standing in front of the abortion clinic right now trying to make sure that it doesn't happen? Yeah, well, that that is what I'm going to talk about next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, but and there are, there are um 
there's some interesting things to talk about. And you know what, Scott? Part of me says, yeah, why aren't I? I know. Yep. I know. It's it's complex, man. It's nobody's nobody's consistent all the time. We're we're a big mess. And this is a difficult, difficult topic. I want to um I mentioned this story. In closing, I want to I want to repeat something that I mentioned in a previous episode. If you didn't hear this, I probably should have picked out the episode number so that you can go find it. But I do want to r- reference again um, the conversation I overheard as I was leading a Bible class where one sister said, I don't know, you know, how a Christian could, I don't know how you can love Jesus and get an abortion or something like that. And another sister sitting right next to her said, well, I got an abortion. And the, the healing, do you remember that? The healing that happened between them in that moment, which it, it, it didn't take any time uh, for the sister who had said that to say, uh, please forgive me. It didn't take time for her to think about and to, and you know ask, should I ask this other sister for forgiveness or what do I say? It was it was instinctual. She said, "Please forgive me." Uh, and and I uh, I learned so much about them and I learned so much about myself in that moment. And I really want to um, uh, kind of as we finish this discussion, if it's hurtful, if it's painful if we've taken a position that is painful because we just didn't realize where you are, then please forgive me. We, that's not what I don't think I, I'm going to speak for Cole. That's not what we're doing here. No, not at all. Not at all. And I don't think as, as your illustration proves, I don't think the only place for Christians to stand on this topic is at the pre and prevention spot. Interesting. I can't wait for next week. 